Angelou once said, Courage is the most important of all the virtues because without courage, you can't practice any other virtue consistently. Welcome to Building Grit, one call at a time. Every human being will be faced with a massive challenge. How you deal with problems is based on grit, determination, perseverance, and will. On this show, we talk to people who face challenges and how they dealt with them. This is Building Grit, one call at a time. And this is your host, Nick Wingo. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Building Grit, one call at a time. In this podcast, I am so fortunate to be able to interview people that have a story to tell. I originally started this podcast to tell my story Uh, Let people know that they're not alone. Let people know that there are other people that have had rough goes. And just because you've had a rough go doesn't mean that you're not going to be successful. So often we get caught up in the idea that where we are and what we have had happen to us is what's going to define us for the rest of our lives. And that's just not the truth. That is not the fact. The fact is, is that those stories, those greatest weaknesses is what becomes our greatest strengths. It makes us become the people who we are. And often we would not be, actually, always, we would not be who we are or where we are if it wouldn't be for the things that have happened to us. And so today, I am super honored to have a guest on my podcast. And this guest is a owner of a company called Outdoor Solutions. He's an avid hunter, got a really cool things going, uh, and he's got a great story to tell. So I'm super excited to introduce to you, Greg, Greg. Greg, how are you doing today? What's up, buddy? Man, I appreciate you having me on. This is going to be a lot of fun. Awesome. I'm, I'm super stoked that you jumped on to have this conversation with me. So just so the listeners can get to know you a little bit about what you do, who you are, where you're from, can you just kind of give us a little idea of what it is that you're doing? Tell us a little bit about Outdoor Solutions. Yeah, absolutely. So we're, we're a, a small family brand company. Uh, this is actually our 16th year in business. We started in 2004, kind of by accident. We'll tell that story here in a little bit. But we started out in 04 as uh, what's known as a, a hunting consultant or hunting and fishing consultant. So we have right around 100 destinations, outfitters that we work with around the globe. So we do stuff in New Zealand, Argentina, Africa, our mainstay, our bread and butters is here in North America. And then we also do uh, some fishing in Canada, Alaska, Costa Rica, Belize. So basically what we do, we've been fortunate. I've traveled to, to all these different places. And so now people can find us through our different marketing efforts that we do. And somebody calls and say, hey, I want to go on an elk hunt. And we'll say, all right, we'll ask them ask um, some questions or some parameters of, uh, you know, what, what are your specifications? What are you looking for? Some of the questions we'll ask is, what are your trophy expectations? Are you just wanting to fill the freezer with meat? Uh, you know, what are your physical limitations? That's a, a big one that, that gets overlooked in our industry. Your budget. You know, so there's just a lot of different things that, that we consider. And then whenever we get those answers, we get it narrowed down that we've got oh, usually two, three, sometimes four choices that we can send to them. And we'll send them information from our website. They can review them. We'll follow up, you know, three days to a week later. And usually they'll tell us, hey, tell us more about this one. They're all locations that we've been to. So we can tell them exactly what the process is going to be from the time that they actually from before they get there, because we'll prep them for all their gear, everything that they're going to need for that specific trip. And then we'll tell them what their expectations are. I mean, we can tell them, hey, you're going to get up at this time. Here's what you're going to have for breakfast. Here's what the hike is going to be like. So we just give them basically everything that they need 
We do that on the hunting side and on the fishing side. And we do all the steps for them. So we help them get their licenses and their tags. We tell them what gear they're going to need. And then we make the introduction to the outfitter that, that we have the relationship with and set everything up for them up to the time that they arrive at the outfitter. Then the outfitter takes over and, you know, puts on the hunt or the fishing trip or whatever it is that they're, that they're there to do. And of course, afterwards, we do the business side of it and follow up, see how it went and try to get them ready for their, for their next one. Excuse me. And yeah, so we, we just get everybody ready. We send them out on, on the fun trips of a, of a lifetime form. Some of them do them, you know, two, three times a year. Some of them, you know, once every two, three, four years, because, you know, that's not inexpensive, inexpensive to do. So we get them prepped for, for trips like that. 2012, we actually started our long range schools. It all kind of fell hand in hand. What would happen is we would get a lot of our clients from the East and the Midwest that would want to go on, on a hunting trip. And when you got west, man, you got to be prepared to shoot out. Well, you live in Colorado, so you know, you know, you, yep. they got to be prepared to shoot out, you know, 300, 400 yards, maybe even further. Absolutely. But if you live out, out east, you might not even shoot 100 yards out of a white-tailed deer. And so when we tell them they got to be prepared to shoot out that far, they're like, man, I didn't even know bullets went that far. <laughs> you know, so, so we started our long range schools and we geared it mostly towards hunters. We started with one location in Utah and we teach people how to shoot out to a thousand yards. We're not advocating shooting at animals that far, but what we do is we build their confidence so that whenever the opportunity presents itself at 200 or 300 yards at an animal, they are uh, very confident and they have the ability to you know, shoot at the animal and take it cleanly and not end up with a wounded animal was obviously the, the ultimate goal. Since Absolutely. then, we've added Texas and Michigan as additional locations. And now our third part of the business that we just started a little less than two years ago, we have three chefs on staff. So you can see we're kind of bringing this full circle. So we, we uh, send them on adventures. We teach them how to shoot, to be prepared for the adventures. Now we've got these three chefs on staff. And what we do, we do a program called From Field to Table. And we bring in clients. They're very small groups. We're maxed out at about eight people. We do it in multiple locations. Texas is probably our main location. But we'll bring in eight clients. We pair everybody up. We'll do some brief shooting instruction, not near as detailed as our long-range schools. But we'll do some, and, and these are all from super highly qualified instructors. I mean, these what these guys do is incredible what they've done in the past. A lot of uh, military, law enforcement background. Do a whole, whole story just on them. Anyway, we'll do just a little bit of shooting training. And then we'll take them out hunting. And then we, once, uh, once they have an animal down, we teach them how to field dress it. We'll teach them how to skin it. Then we bring it back. We bring in the chefs. And we do a full uh, butchering and processing clinic so they learn how to completely break an animal down into individual muscle groups and then once they have that accomplished then they go into the kitchen with the chef and learn how to how to prepare a wild game meal what we do with that is we we pair everybody up so we'll have four pairs and we'll do a four course meal each team is responsible for a wild game dish that the chef is predetermined it's like all right you're going to prepare this this team's going to prepare that and then we all sit down at the table and enjoy the fruits of our labor. We'll also bring in, typically we'll bring in a local winery or a uh, microbrew and we'll do some pairings with each dish. You know, so it's, it's somewhat sophisticated. We're a little bit fancy. We're not all just a bunch of rednecks. And <laughs> um, we, ha we, we have a, a great meal and then everybody gets, you know, they get home with, you know, a bunch of, you know, 100% organic wild game protein. 
And uh, you'll have a cooler full of that of cookbooks from Chef. And then, of course, then we refer them to our website because we have tons of recipes and how-to videos and, and those type of things. So those are basically our three our three revenue streams and what our, what our company does. Super awesome, man. That is amazing. I looked at some of your stuff and it's super cool. I, I am a hunter and so I appreciate some of that stuff. Yeah, what you guys are doing, you have a super cool niche. Like what an awesome, I, you know, people always say, do something that you're passionate about so it doesn't feel like work. It really feels like sitting here listening to you and talking to you that it does not feel like work to you and you really are just enjoying life and having a great time doing it. I'm a little jealous, not, not gonna lie. It's pretty cool. Anyways, but here's the thing. We're not here to talk only about all the cool stuff and all the, uh, you know, how, uh, how you're doing awesome. I love like you're kicking ass and taking names. You really have created uh, an awesome, an awesome company. You've created an awesome niche. You've got so many great things going for you. But here's the thing is that's not what we're here for. We're here to talk about how do we get there? Because so often people see Gray Gray, owner of Outdoor Solutions, kicking ass, taking names, doing all this really cool stuff, and that's all we see. But we don't see and we don't talk about often enough, how do we get to Gray Gray Outdoor Solutions? What's the story that leads up to that? So with that being said, let's talk about how this happened and, and the thing the things that people don't talk about. So let's talk about that story that led you up to this, the, the hard stuff. So the way that we got into this business and got started, I wouldn't recommend for anybody else because it was just <laughs> one of those weird things that happened. So give you a little a little bit of background and the story actually goes even even further back about, you know, obviously with Name Your Podcast, Building Grit, that, that started way back as, as a kid and how I grew up. But to fast forward to kind of where we are now, how we got to where we are. I was a national sales manager for a Fortune 500 company out of Chicago and started that. Actually, my day one was a few short days after my son was born. That was 21 years ago. Uh, he just turned 21 last month. And the job required me to travel Monday through Friday. So I leave Monday morning. I might literally on Monday, I could be in Toronto Canada and on Thursday being Mexico City. My my territory was pretty much North America or, or kind of the eastern half of North America. So I traveled all over the place. Did that for I'm gonna say it was about six years, maybe seven years. I my, my time frames I get really messed up, but somewhere in that time frame, and it just got to the point that couldn't do anymore. I was a part-time dad, I was a part-time husband, and it just wasn't working. I'd get home on Friday and my wife was like, here's the kids. I'm out. <laughs> Love you. Bye. <laughs> you know, so you guys, you guys have no connection then. So then that's, that, that's like, I, I've been through that phase of my life where it's like the pass off of the kids and then you lose connection between each other. That's a, that's a rough time in your life to be in. It was. Yeah. And it was, it was really hard on, on Deborah because if she was just at home, you know, seven or five days a week being a single mom, you know? So and I was, I was a dad on the, on the phone pretty much. And this was, you know, I said, you know, Eddie from the time Eddie was born until he was, I don't know, four or five, somewhere in, in, in that time frame before I left, you know, so it was, it was tough. Prior to that, I've had my own businesses. Some did great, some didn't do so great, but uh, I've always preferred working for myself. And this job was pretty much like working for myself because I, I, I had a home office and would literally only have to go to headquarters maybe once a quarter, sometimes twice a quarter. And as long as you did your job, they didn't really micromanage too much. So it was, it was like being self-employed, but like I said, it was just gone all the time. Well, it got to the point that enough was enough. We started looking at, at other opportunities 
and decided, well, man, instead of just starting a business from scratch, let's look at some franchises. So keep in mind, this is in the 2003, 2004 uh, timeframe. And I, we literally started looking at Subway franchises. Thought, I can make a sandwich. I can run a business. You know, so how hard can that be? Anyway, we're just looking around and through my search, um, I found a list of top 100 franchises in North America. And somewhere on that list around 96, 97 was a company called Outdoor Connections. And they were basically a franchise that, that did what I just explained earlier that, that we do now. So I dove into it, checked it out a little bit. A franchise was not very expensive at all, but determined that I could not replace my income with what I was doing. And so kind of like what, what you and I were just talking about offline before we, we started the podcast here, me starting something else was, was not the goal to have a, another side gig. And that's what I ended up doing. Deborah was not, my wife was not too super happy about it, even though we, we couldn't replace my income with it. I mean, I'll start something else. And so I bought this franchise. And the way the other franchisees would build their business was they would just go to their local, you know, trade shows, hunting and fishing shows and, and set a booth up and try to drum up business. Well, with what I was doing, traveling Monday through Friday, there's no way I could do that. So I literally went to Barnes and Noble. I bought two books. In fact, I still have them here in, in my in my library. I bought two books on how to do pay-per-click advertising. This was uh, before Google was, you know, Google was a, a, an adjective and a noun and a verb. Yahoo was the big thing. And right. so I did all my pay-per-click advertising on Yahoo. Didn't really know what I was doing. And actually, I'm going to pack up here a second. So I got started this because I loved to fish at the time. I was not really a hunter. I grew up on a 2,000-acre cattle ranch. So I you know, hunt squirrels, rabbits, quail, stuff like that. But I was not a, a big game hunter. And so I, I bought this franchise. Like, now I sell fishing trips because I really know fishing and I'm good at it. Well, I started doing these ads on Yahoo. And I started getting all these hunting leads in. So I, I got a lead in. So, you know, somebody said they wanted to hunt woodland caribou. And so I'd have to call the office. Hey, what's a woodland caribou? This guy wants to go on a woodland caribou hunting trip. And so I would just bug the office all the time. Well, I started getting all these leads in. I mean, lots of leads. So in the evenings after I'd be done with my day job, I'm sitting in a hotel with my laptop and a cell phone. And I'm, I'm answering all these leads and responding back to him, calling the, the home office of the franchise and getting answers and, and replying back and, and doing all this. And, and, all of a sudden, man, we, we, I had a nice little side gig and I was just wanting to do something to kind of support my fishing habit, you know, and pay for some trips and go to some cool places. It wasn't supposed to be a business. And anyway, it just started growing and growing. And then all of a sudden the home office is calling me. He's like, what are you doing? How are you doing this? And within a year's time, we had come pretty close to replacing my income at my job. And like I said, that really wasn't, wasn't the plan. It just, it just kind of grew. And so we just kept following that route. And, and my wife and I actually started discussing, well, maybe, maybe we do look at doing this. You know, what do you think? It's kind of scary, but we would have to give up awesome benefits. I had a great 401k plan, had outstanding insurance, all kinds of bonuses, all different types of things, and, and was making a, a decent living. You know, we weren't getting rich, but we were, we were doing pretty well. And so in October, fast forward to October of 2005, a Jeep crashed through our house going 70 miles an hour through our dining room, through our kitchen. And it just so happens that's where my wife and I were standing. And we had heard the, you know, the screech of the tires. We heard some crashes outside. We were actually in the kitchen preparing dinner. Eddie was at this time five or six years old. He's on the couch in the living room. There was just a wall that separated 
you know, the kitchen and the, and the living room. But anyway, she leans up over the kitchen sink to try to look out the window to see what it was. I turned to go outside through our utility room and the garage. We had an issue with a, a kid in the neighborhood that would just fly up and down the, the street. In fact, in fact, uh, Deborah had uh, petitioned to have uh, speed bumps put in our neighborhood and, and she got it. So she got speed bumps. And anyway, this kid was just a hellion. So I've assumed that's what it was. So as soon as I turn around to go outside, there's just this loud explosion. And then just all of a sudden it's just dark. You know, I have no idea what happened. What had happened was this Jeep crashed through our house and hit me, pushed me partway through the kitchen, landed on top of me, crushed me in between the, uh, the Jeep and the refrigerator and then sucked me up underneath. And so I've literally got a Jeep uh, sitting on top of me with the accelerator stuck you know, just, just the, you know, the, the Jeep is going 90 miles an hour, but, but sitting still. Well, also whenever she came through the, uh, she ruptured the gas line to the house for the, for the stove. Of course, I know, I know none of this. I have no idea what happened. It's it just pitch black. I don't know if I went out, you know, if I was, un, if I was unconscious for a short period of time or, or not, but I knew obviously something bad had, had just happened. Like I said, it's just pitch black. And the only, the one thing that I can really remember that stands out is, I can hear Deborah screaming. So I know that she's okay, but she's screaming for our son, Eddie, who, like I said, is, you know, he's a little five or six year old kid. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know if it's because she can see him and something bad has happened. Of course, as a dad, you're imagining the worst or if she's yeah. just trying, trying to find him. And like I said, it is, it's just, it's, it's pitch black. And then all of a sudden I can see just a little bit of light. There's some additional noise. I can see just a little bit of light. I hear other people talking and then I hear somebody yell, I've got him. He's okay. So I know, I know that my son's okay. And now I'm trying to figure out what the hell's going on. You know, where, where am I? What's going on? I'm, I'm flat on my belly. I try to push myself up and I fall on, on my left shoulder and I crack me and my arms broke. And at this point you hear a lot of other, a lot of other commotion going on. And then, you know, I can start people starting to holler for me. So I try to holler back and I, I can't catch my breath. It's just, I, I can't yell. I didn't know it at the time, but it was because whenever the Jeep hit me, it broke ribs and my ribs punctured one of my lungs. And so I couldn't, I couldn't get my breath. So you had attention Nemo. What's you that? Att- you had attention nemothorax in your, in your lungs, I'm assuming. Yeah. I can say, so yeah. So with what, with what you do, you're going to understand some of these injuries and some of the yeah. things going on because it's Absolutely. actually like yourself that actually pulled me out from underneath the Jeep. So I, I try to push myself up. I can't, I can't yell. And I can tell my right leg's like, man, something's wrong because my right leg is cocked way up back behind me and I can't get it out. I can't move it. And so I try to turn and look back and, and I can see that my foot is underneath the wheel of the, of the Jeep. And I, I figure at this time that a vehicle is on top of me. And most of the tire is gone or it's kind of flattened out and, and the wheel actually went over the, the top of my foot. And, and honestly, it really didn't hurt too bad. But I, just, I remember distinctly looking back and thinking, yeah, this isn't going to be good. <laughs> yeah, I can only and, imagine. Yeah. And so when you're in a situation like that, it's weird what you notice and what you think. So some of the light's starting to come through and then all of a sudden, I can see that debris is being moved. So one of my neighbors, Gary, who lives straight across the street, is starting to move debris and he kind of gets underneath there and he sees me and he just turns white. And I was like, this ain't going to be, this ain't going to be. So good. you're going, you're going, Oh shit. If he's looking yeah. at me like that, I must look really bad. Exactly. So what had happened is whenever the Jeep came through, we had uh, just a little galley kitchen and we had just a little um, breakfast nook just off the, 
uh, off the side of the kitchen. And of course, all of that furniture, all the dining room furniture just got pushed with the Jeep. And our, our chairs were wrought iron and, and wood. While that debris was up underneath there too, well, one of the wrought iron pieces from that chair, had all I had on was a pair of gym shorts and t-shirt, no shoes. I'd just gotten out of the shower because we'd been at the family branch fishing with my little boy. And actually, that's kind of another story. Fishing actually probably saved our lives because we'd been on time. We stayed a little bit longer than we were supposed to because the fish were biting. If we'd been on time, we'd been sitting right where the Jeep came through and Eddie's back would have been to where the Jeep came through. And I don't think there's any way that he would have ever survived that. So by us being late, we were off track. But anyway, so the one of the uh, pieces of that chair, the wrought iron pieces had gone up my gym shorts, up under my shirt and stopped at the base of my neck. And the rest of it was tangled up just on the undercarriage of the Jeep. And so I'm literally just hanging there, just kind of semi-suspended underneath the Jeep. So Gary comes underneath there and, and sees that. He thinks I'm impaled by, I didn't know this at the time, but he thinks I'm impaled by this wrought iron. And he lifts my shirt up and, and looks and he's like, oh, you know, he, it didn't even scratch me uh, on the back. The, the metal didn't. That's crazy. And uh, so he went and grabbed a, um, a pair of, of shears to, to cut me loose. Actually, I'm going to back up again here's one, here for a second. I'll tell you about it's weird, the things that you think about. Whenever some of the debris got pulled out and I could see somebody walking by and uh, he had on white tennis shoes with black socks. And I remember thinking at the time while I'm pinned underneath the Jeep, I was like, who does that? Who wears white tennis shoes with black socks? It was kind of a weird deal. Like, I don't know why I was thinking that. You know, I'm here possibly getting ready to die. And I'm and like, you're thinking about socks. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And Or it may be another way, but in, anyway, it was just a weird thought. So anyway, he gets underneath there with me, and, and he cuts my shirt loose, and he's literally just underneath there just kind of holding me. And I'm telling him, like, dude, I, I can't breathe. And I said, be careful, Hank, my left arm's broke. And he's like, you're going to be okay, you're okay. And he's telling me, reassuring me that Eddie was okay and that Deborah was okay. Deborah had a, a bunch of superficial cuts on her, uh, on her face. The Jeep had actually impacted her on her right hip and launched her through two walls. She went through our utility room wall and then the wall that separated the utility room and the garage. And she landed on top of one of our cars in the garage. Wow nothing broken. And then just a, from all the debris, a bunch of cuts on her face and you know how your face bleeds whenever it gets cut. Oh yeah. It always looks way worse than it actually is. Exactly. Of course, like I said, I knew none of this at the time, but anyway, so Gary's just underneath there with me and just kind of holding me up and propping me up, talking to me, keeping me calm. At this point, my, my stomach's really starting to hurt and it's getting really tight. And, uh, and that's what started scaring me. Uh, Cause I thought, man, something internal is going on here. Paramedics get there. Fire rescue gets there. And they talk to me for a second. They get the Jeep off the top of my foot, pull me out, throw me on a board and set me down in the yard. And of course, they're examining me, checking me out and stuff. And they're arguing back and forth about whether to have life flight land in literally in the cemetery, which is kind of uh, a block over. But that was the uh -huh. closest that they could get it or just to uh, haul me in the ambulance. And they're going, they're literally just arguing back and forth about what to do and where they're going to take my wife. And I finally just hollered. I was like, guys, throw me in the, in the ambulance. Let's go, man. I don't feel good. And they all just stopped and just kind of looked at me. He's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> kind of thing. It was just kind of, kind of a weird moment. Like I said, just weird what you remember. So they threw me in the Jeep. And, or in the Jeep, in the, uh, in the ambulance. And off to the hospital we went. So 11, you know, fast forward here now to 2020 since then, I've had 11 surgeries. 
my right foot pretty much just cut almost cut off all the all the tendons and everything across the top of your foot uh was completely severed had a big gaping wound there funny part about that that one really didn't hurt just because all the nerves were were severed so it really didn't there was hurt. no pain there then yeah and my left arm that i was talking about earlier was not broken but the the jeep had impacted me on my left shoulder blade and had damaged all those nerves. So my, my arm was just completely paralyzed. I mean, just literally could not move. And that was probably the part that freaked me out the most. And then, like I mentioned earlier, uh, broke some ribs, punctured a lung, knocked teeth out, obviously a major concussion, and uh, then had some uh, liver, spleen, and kidney damage that did not end up requiring surgery. I did end up having to have my appendix and my uh, gallbladder. My, my appendix and my gallbladder ended up taken out because of that. And then I've had um, two surgeries on my foot, four surgeries on my knee, and I don't remember what else. <laughs> Man, that's so crazy. It, you know, it's, it's so interesting to sit here and listen to you. Number one, man, what a story. What a story to tell. You know, I'm, I'm on that other end. I'm the guy who comes in and pulls people out. So it's always interesting for me to uh, hear the story before the story. The stories I get sometimes are not very clear. And so it's cool to hear a very clear story and depiction of what, uh, what your memory is of what happened. My curiosity is, is like when you woke up, I mean, you obviously you had a brief loss of consciousness or something. I mean, what was the most impactful thing about that event? I mean, are, you know, were you were you thinking like, where's my kid? Like, where's my wife? I mean, what was the thing? What was the first thing you were thinking to yourself like when you when you kind of came to and, and you're like looking around like, oh shit, what just happened? Yeah, the the scariest part and the part that I'll, I remember and I can still just hear it vividly in my in my memory is when Deborah was screaming for Eddie, uh, just because I didn't know one, I didn't know what had just happened, but two, you know, she's screaming for me. And it's you know that panic mom voice, and you know, so you know you think the worst. I'm thinking, you know, maybe he's in really bad shape. Once you hear that they have your kiddo, they have your son. Now then that's when you start to realize like, Oh shit, I'm jacked up. Yeah. So once I heard that, that was a huge relief. I knew that that Deborah had to be somewhat okay because I could hear her talking and then talking to, you know, talking to neighbors and trying to get stuff figured out. So that's when the part that I was 10, I kind of started doing my, you know, self-assessment like, okay, what's going on here? I looked back and saw my, leg was all tangled up underneath and knew that my left arm was was not working properly. And I'd been under, under there for a little while before I started getting worried that not being able to, you know, catch a good full, full breath. And then when my stomach started tightening up, that's when I was like, all right, something's going on inside. Something's here. real bad. Something real bad's yeah. going on. So we, we, up to this point of the story, we hear that you have this business that's kicking ass and then boom, you have this Jeep that hits you. So Obviously, what happens to the business right now? So here, so here's what what the deal is. Like I had mentioned, when I led up led up to this point, was we were actually discussing, you know, let's figure something else out so I can leave this job that requires me to be gone Monday through Friday. So the Jeep crash happens, and I'm in the hospital. I don't know about ten days. I think I was I was in ICU maybe just for a couple of days. They moved me out, and then uh, was in a regular room for another week. So you know, nine ten days, and then. I don't, we don't have a home to come, to come home to. So that was the big part. So I'm in the hospital, you know, I'm laid up. Well, my wife with her injuries is having to do all of this work in the background. Where are we going to live? Cause we've got a, a giant hole in the side of our house. Right. Uh, so where are we going to live? What are we going to do? We've got two kids at home. So the hard part was really on her. I just had to recover. Just so happened that our neighbor right across, literally straight across the street, our address was 1501, hers is 1500, 
uh, had put her house up for sale and she said, Hey, let me just rent my house to you until you guys get it figured out. So we had so many gracious people help us out during that time. Uh, Shauna was one of them. So we literally just went straight across the, across the street. Well, I'm pretty much incapacitated. I'm, I'm on pain meds. So one, my, my cognitive skills are not, are not too good. Um, I can't walk. So I'm, I'm literally laid up in a, in a recliner. And I don't remember the time frames are I'm terrible with time frames since all this has happened. But at a certain point of, of time had gone by that I just, you know, I couldn't do anything. I couldn't really have good conversations with people. Uh, so I would repeat myself after telling somebody something 15 minutes ago, I'd tell people them. People are probably like, what is wrong with this guy? Yeah, what's wrong with this guy? Um, <laughs> and, that, and that continued on for a while. Even once we, we kind of started the business back up. I would send an email to the home office and then literally 30 minutes later, call them and ask them the question that I'd emailed them and, and not remember that I had done it, you know? So I, I had that kind of thing going on. But what happened is that Jeep crashing through our house as painful and ridiculous as it was, is literally the reason that our business is where it is today. Cause I don't know that I would have had the courage to leave that cushy job or would have probably continued to look for something else. I had no other option uh, because I couldn't travel with my, with my job. I'm, I'm still going through surgeries. I'm doing physical therapy, going through all kinds of torture devices from our, from my physical therapist. I'm having to figure out how to walk again, all this kind of stuff. So there's just no way that I can travel. I have to go on a long-term disability through my company Eventually, they have to cut me loose because my territory has to be covered. Uh, and right. there's at this point no end in sight of when I'm going to be able to go back to work. So I end up losing my job. And so we had no choice. So I literally lay there in the recliner in, in bed with my leg propped up and uh, start the pay per click ads again and start building the business. And we start building it. And man, it just boom, it just takes off. And man, for, for two years, we actually built a, a really good, solid, solid business all because a Jeep crashed through our house, you know? So, uh, like I said, I don't recommend that method for anybody else, but absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I, I can't say I'm, I'm glad that, glad that it happened. And it, and it didn't end there. 2008, we all know what happened with the economy. Yes. Our business is a luxury business. You know, it's not, it's not something that you have to have. It's not, you know, food or medical or you know, anything like that. It's, it's a luxury. One of the and, first things that people cut is these type of things. Yeah, it's, it's exactly what it is. Well, we had also built our business since I, like I said, was a, a national sales manager. I entertained a lot of clients. So I know that these bigger companies have really good budgets Doing the individuals was nice, you know, book a person here, book a person there, a group of buddies, those type of things were great. But, you know, what if I could go to a corporation that has a, you know, a million dollar a year budget for entertaining and I can get part of that. I have to deal with one person, but I can send out 50 people uh, instead of a couple of people. Let's, let's look into that. So we started looking into it. Somehow I fell into, I don't remember how I found them, but a, a couple of companies, uh, wholesale lumber companies. The housing market was booming, was going crazy. So these um, wholesale lumber companies had ginormous budgets. They're in construction. All these construction guys love to hunt and fish. They love the outdoors. That's why they're in construction. And so it was a match made in heaven. I, I, I ended up getting one of the largest wholesale companies in the market. And we built them in 2006, 2007. They spent just shy of a million dollars with us. That's By amazing. far the biggest client we had ever had that was huge for us. And 
So then I thought, well, man, if one company's doing it, their competitors got to be doing the same thing. So I started calling on their competitors. We got a couple of their competitors, much smaller, but we still got them. So we were heavily in this wholesale lumber, building homes, 2008 happened. And we literally lost 66% of our business, two thirds of our wow. business gone. Uh, Crazy. Yeah. But, but here's the thing is that you're creative. So I see inside of you that you've got this creative thing, right? And so you are the type of person who doesn't allow for that type of thing to stop you from getting what you want and creating what you want. And I can tell that you totally, you created that thing. So my assumption is to get where you are right now, again, to rebuild, you had to get creative. And so many people forget to get creative. They forget to, they, they just like a lot of people, that type of thing will just make them quit. I wanted to. <laughs> like, I, man, I just, I just went through all of this. I, I damn near died and built this business. And now the economy is tanked. And, and now what? Because at 33, where we were living, we could not live on 33% of the, of the revenue. So, you know, what do you do? You know, so, you know, I, I had to do, I had to look inside and do some soul searching, man, and figure out what the hell to do. And so I did what I always know to do, you know, roll up my sleeves and, and, and go to work. I went and went and got a, another job. And so kept my business going with the, the, the 33% that could still afford to go out on, on hunting and fishing trips. So kept it going and went and got a job and worked that job. I uh, see that was in 2008. So until 2011. So for three years, mm. but it, that took for us to, to get it built back up. Interesting thing happened. So we, and I can't remember how the introduction was. Oh yeah, I do. Uh, through one of our writers. I told you that we do writer events. So a writer, he wrote for a magazine called American Hunter and American Rifleman, which is actually owned by the National Rifle Association, by the NRA. And so they had done several articles on our company and the introduction was made to some of the executives there. And they're like, we've been looking to do something exactly like this for our members to make it a member benefit. And we have a program called uh, an, an affiliate program, basically, is what, what it was. And so we actually partnered with the NRA and we, we created a program that they still have called uh, NRA Outdoors. And we did this as, a, uh, as an affiliate partner. So it was, it was still our company. We had a two-year contract with them. So we, we built this program, NRA Outdoors, uh, and this was in 2012. That's when we started our long-range schools. Uh, was in was in 2012 and we started that through one of my outfitters I work with in, in Utah but now we were branding everything as NRA outdoors for those of those those that maybe don't know the NRA is you know has five million members so we've got a very dedicated audience to market to well once again our business just 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 blew up again because we had this very captive audience uh, to market to. I was like, man, this is awesome. So we, once again, man, we're, we're kicking ass, we're taking names, things are going well. End of our contract in 2014, the NRA is like, well, we want to do something a little different. I'm like, crap. There <laughs> <Here> we go. <laughs> well, it turns out they wanted to buy our company. And so after negotiations and going back and forth. That's what ended up happening. They bought our company and they, they hired our, I say our entire team. There was just four of us at the time. We said, we're a small company, but they bought our company, hired us to run it as a department within their hunter services division. And so once again, became an employee and it didn't take too which long. Is not, which is not what you want. <laughs> no, no. The, uh, the, the dollar signs are nice for the sale of the company. I said, you know, it wasn't retirement money, but it was, made a really nice nest egg, you know? So 
yeah, we went back to being an employee and it did, like I said, it did not take long dolls. Like I screwed up <laughs> and, and the people there were great. Uh, it, it wasn't that most of the people there were great. It's that uh, you wanted more for yourself. You wanted more for yourself. So here comes outdoor solutions. Exa- that is exactly right. So what happened was February of 2018, we stuck with the NRA. So from two, 2012 to 2014 as uh, independent, we still own the company, 2014 to 2018. So four years we were employees and February of 18, our contract was up. We went back out on our own. We did not have a non-compete and we rebranded as Outdoor Solutions. I love so I it. found out uh, being an employee, man, we were really, the reins were really put on us was kind of like being asked to swim with cement blocks around your ankles. It, it just can't happen. We couldn't do the marketing I wanted to do. I couldn't make the connections I wanted to do. So here we go. We're starting over again. I'm at this point in my 50s. I'm 54. I'll be 54 in December. So at this point, I'm 52 years old. I'm like, I do not know if I want to start over again at 52 years old. <laughs> you know, so my wife and I talked about it. And it was like, you know, what do we do? It's like, well, this is, this is what I know. This is what I love. And so we didn't even, we didn't discuss it very long at all. We just started over. We had, at this point, you know, we're uh, 14 years in the business. So we had a good database, you know, of clients. We started marketing to them. Uh, People had heard that we had left the NRA. Those people were calling, why'd you leave, you know? (laughs) Right. What we're doing, we're we're still doing our own thing. Oh, awesome. So they stayed with us. We've built a very, very loyal following based off of our customer service, how we treat our clients. One of our main guys that works for us uh, is also, I should say, works with us. Uh, Lindsey Moss is a a good buddy of mine now, too. He actually started out as a cameraman uh, for us when we had a TV show, and him and I just hit it off. And anyway, because of him, he is so good with the clients, and and because of him, our repeat business is just through the roof. So we just started building off of that again and started being able to do the creative things that we wanted to do. We branched out with our long range schools. We added two more locations when then we started this from field to table project. And even with all this stupid COVID stuff going on, you know, business is, is definitely down, um, but we're actually still doing, doing pretty well. You I know, love so. that. Anyway, yeah. So that's kind of that's kind of the the story of how the business got started and, and where we are today. We've got some other things that we're doing that we'll be adding on here pretty soon. We actually just partnered with uh, some fellow RTA members, what part of our entrepreneur group uh, that's helping us with our branding and our social media, uh, getting the word out on, on it. So we're super happy. Very nice with those guys. Uh, we're, we've an, a new revenue that we um, that we just started is uh, we're doing a lot of filming of all of all the adventures that we go on and utilizing our experts, which are our instructors and our chefs, and creating some really cool YouTube content. So we're really building our uh, our YouTube channel right now and, and giving people free content where they can learn uh, some of the basics on shooting and you know how to build a shooting position, how to shoot off shooting sticks. Or they can go and watch our chefs on, on you know, how do you, uh, uh, how do you butcher a hindquarter or how do you cook a, you know, a filet uh, and all these different recipes and stuff. So uh, we're building, we're really just now starting to build that as well. I love that, man. Your story is amazing. You know, I, I love the fact that you are super creative. And that's the thing that I'm finding often with people I talk to who have stories, who have built their businesses is that when the shit gets tough, when it's hard, instead of looking at the circumstance and going, man, I'm going to quit and I'm just going to let my circumstance control me. They 
pivot and they find any way and every way they can to become the best version of themselves and continue to grow. And like you said, even at 52, you're like, ah, man, I don't know if I want to restart, but you did. And because you did, because you put yourself out there, like you were doing great things, your company is going to just blow up and there are going to be awesome things that are going to happen for you. I love that. And so if you're listening right now, the biggest takeaway you should take from this is that even if you get hit by a freaking Jeep and incapacitated and have something tragic happen to you, that doesn't mean that you can't succeed. That doesn't mean that life is happening to you. Life is happening for you. You heard it straight from Greg's mouth. If the Jeep wouldn't have hit him, he would not be where he is sitting right now having this conversation if it wasn't for the Jeep. And so, so often, we get caught up in the idea that things happen to us and we let it suppress us and we let us hold us back. And the reality is, is that that pressure that's coming in, we should use that pressure and take control of it and let it to be a slingshot forward for us and become the best versions of ourselves and use those things to slingshot us forward. Greg, I, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. I really appreciate your story. I love it. I love the things that you're doing. I'm excited to you know continue to build our relationship and uh, make connection with you. The last thing I always do on my podcast is my values are to build grit through gratitude, resilience, intuition, and tenacity. So I want to ask you, Greg, how are you showing gratitude every day? What are the things that you do to be grateful? Man, well, so with building this business, like I said, it, it I, I didn't set out to, for it to be where it is today. And my whole driving force behind, or the majority of my driving force behind this is, like I mentioned, I've got a son that's 21 years old and he started in this with, uh, you know, since he, he's been going with me ever since he was five years old. So my dream was always to have him be involved with the business. He just started with us uh, a year ago, full time. And I am just extremely grateful that we are able to, like you said in the beginning, to do what we do and make a living doing it and not to forget that because you can get so involved in the business side of it. And, you know, just because we've built it to where it is and and we've got such a long ways to go uh, of of where we want to be, but not forgetting how fortunate we are to be able to do what we're doing and make a living doing something that we're super passionate about. So even in the times whenever, because like anybody else, we, I do get down, you know, I'm, 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 why, you know, why are these things happening? And and it's all just, you know, rah, 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 you know, I I get inside my own head just like anybody else. But like Andy says, you know, you you can't listen to your bitch voice. That's right. And that is a huge reminder for me. And so you know, as far as the gra- the gratitude part is is reminding myself that I'm just extremely blessed to be doing what I'm doing, and even though things don't always go the way that we want them to, is I'm running a business with my wife who is is sacrificed way more than than the rest of us have because she's this is not her passion, but she's doing this because she loves me. And then I've got a son that I'm able to work side by side with, and we get to get do some amazing adventures together. And the, I think the main thing for me is to not take that for granted, even when the, the times are not as good as we want them to be. Man, I love that. That is so true. I often forget to just be grateful in the moment too. Um, and so it's so good to just be grateful for what you have, which is why I've made it one of my, one of the things that I, I'm constantly working on, because if we're grateful for what we have, if we step back and take a deep breath and really think about what we're grateful for, really, it just changes everything for you. It changes everything when you're grateful for the things that you already have. So how are you being resilient right now? 
I have some good ideas because I, I just from listening to you, I have some good ideas how you're how you're using resilience. But what are the things that you're doing to be resilient? Man, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a good question, and I'm really not even too sure what uh, what the answer is. Well, I, actually, yeah, yeah, I do. So one of the last uh, episodes I listened to of yours was actually with a mutual friend that we have, uh, J.K. Yeah, um, and he's he's a, we've never actually met. We're just social media buddies, and we were involved in a in a nutritional group together, and and uh, had a lot of uh, similarities. But you know, as far as staying resilient, you know, with the uh, seventy five hard program, yes. Uh, won't get into the the details of it, but I have learned so much from that specific program and and a lot about myself. You too. Yeah. Me too. Me too. I I went through it the first time and I don't want to say I breezed it, but I went through it. I completed it. I was successful. It's like, yeah, man, you know, kicked ass and took names. And I kept a lot of those habits. And actually, I'm I'm really glad you asked this question because this actually just kind kind of leads up to it. Since then, I've attempted two more times. One here very, very recently. The second time I failed, uh, injury, I screwed my back up in the gym, literally in the gym, went down, had to crawl out on my, my hands and knees for a week. I couldn't even put on my own underwear or tie my own shoes. Deborah had to do it. So I missed out on that one. I don't feel too terrible about that one. It's just something happens. And I knew I was going to do it again. This third time I made it to around day 50, day 51. And for those who don't know, 75 hard, 75, 75 days of, of a whole list of things that you, ha- that you have to do. And I pretty much made a conscious decision to, to, to fail. And this was while we were, my son and I were just in Wyoming. And part of the 75 hard is that, you, you know, no alcohol. I'm not a big drinker. So that's really not an issue for me. I actually missed my son's 21st birthday, being able to share his first legal drink with him anyway. And because I was doing 75 hard, that's how, how dedicated I was to it. Uh, anyway, we were out on a hunt in Wyoming. Uh, he was successful. It was a big, proud moment. So you had to have a beer with him. We had a beer. <laughs> and, uh, made that, made that yes. Conscious, conscious decision. So the part about being resilient, even though I did fail in terms of the program, came right back home after being home from Wyoming, and I'm still doing everything that is required uh, within 75 Hard just because they're habits now. Uh, right, Literally right before we jumped in this podcast, I already got my first workout in. I've already read my book. Probably the one part that I'm not resilient on, though, is that gallon of water kicks my ass every time. <laughs> oh, man. The gallon of water. I So this uh, pro tip, I car- carry a urinal with you everywhere if you're drinking a gallon of water because – like I, I, I do a mobile IV business, so I'm just okay. going to throw it out there. Like when you're driving around constantly and you're drinking water constantly like that, man. Yeah. So anyways, you can tie the, the, uh, the things together and figure out what I'm saying because yeah, I I've been in like moments where I'm like, Oh man, I got a piece so bad. And that's the other thing for me at work, being a firefighter when I'm at work and I'm on calls, right? I'm like, like, all right, like it needs like, let's get this moving, man. Cause I got to go pee. Like we got to get this stuff going. Come on, let's go let's get to the hospital faster, faster. Oh so, it, it, yeah. It's, it's tough. My, my morning workout every morning is I do a, it, it's just a, a three mile hike, but it's through our, our neighborhood. And I've got this, this uh, trail that I go, like I say, it's in a neighborhood and literally I'd get halfway through and like, I got to go. I get yeah. back to ask, there's nowhere to go. I mean, I'm in a neighborhood. So love it. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah, the resilience part is continuing on with that, even though I'm officially done with the program or I didn't finish it this third time is that, you know, I'm still doing what needs to be done because I know it's made me a better person. I know that it affects me in every aspect of my life. 
And that's what it's all about. It's it's about becoming the best version of yourself. And listening to Andy and following Andy, that's what it's about. It's less about the 75 hard. It's more about creating the habits, becoming the best version of yourself, becoming and learning how to control that bitch voice. I yep. learned that. Uh, you know, I, I recently failed my second go. I failed at day 30. Right now I'm at day, today is day 13. I'm going oh, again. Wow. And I failed just based off from overeating my macros. And so I, you know, Anyways, I, I'm just holding myself to a higher standard now, and that's just I, the way I it saw is. You, I saw your post on that, man. That, that, is, that is holding yourself to a higher standard. You didn't have to do that, but you did. I did because I want to be the best version of myself. So, Greg, tell me about how you use your intuition. Uh, you know, I have found that when I don't use my intuition that I look back and I regret it often. So how have you leaned into that intuition? Yeah, so and I'm assuming uh, intuition is more that, that gut feeling Yes, um, uh, kind of thing. So I, I've, I've got two. So my initial intuition is is that that gut feeling. My second intuition is is my wife Deborah. <laughs> yes, <laughs> we are one hundred slap across the face. What's that? The, the slap across the face intuition. Yes. I got one of those too. She that's, she lets me know when I'm doing it wrong. It, that is exactly what it is. We are one hundred percent complete opposites when it comes to making decisions on things. I'll see something and. Let's go do it, man. And I will not necessarily think it through, but I'll, I'll figure it out as I go kind of thing. She will analyze something and, and until it's dead. So we, we kind of balance each other out. But uh, yeah, that is, that, is my, uh, that is my intuition there is, is running something by her because she will always think of stuff that I've never even thought to think about. Yeah, so and then, then the the other part of the story is just just my gut feeling. You know, just uh, on the the like on the business aspect. Whenever we started in two thousand four and was just doing the consulting part, you know, it's a very 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 small margin. And I knew that if we wanted to you know to grow the business, we had to start looking at other avenues. So that's why we started the long range schools and the from field to table because they're much they're much better margins. But it's just you know, looking in that, at that, knowing that you need to do something different. And I think one of the things that pushes me for that is, is, you know, I, I don't want to be average. Who wants to be average? Not me. Yeah. And so it's just that, that internal drive to push you and look for, uh, you know, additional opportunities out there. And then I think probably the biggest thing is listening to others that are a whole lot smarter than me. Yes. Um, that is the majority of the population out there. And one of the reasons that you and I are, are, are both in the same entrepreneur group and listening to podcasts like um, uh, Andy and you know, there's obviously a ton of others that we listen to as well, but uh, yeah. listen to those that have done what we want to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so the, the last thing that, that I want to leave with is tenacity. What, what do you have a firm grip on to right now? As far as what? Uh, you know, what, what is it that you're gripping onto the, uh, the most? Like, you know, for me, my, my tenacity is that I'm gripping onto becoming the best version of myself. And that looks like if I overeat my macros, I'm going to fail myself on 75 hard. So in life, what, what are you, how are you being tenacious? How are you, like, what are you gripping onto firmly that you're not going to weary from? Probably the main thing is one, that, one this, this business, because it ties into something that I had, had mentioned earlier is... I'm setting an example for a 21 year old kid here and I don't want to, I don't want him to see me give up or fail and want to set that example for him. And I am not going to waver in, in my beliefs or my core values of what it takes to get that done and get it done uh, ethically. I love that. I love that, man, Greg, I have really enjoyed this conversation. I appreciate you taking time out of your day to, to do this with me. I know we're all busy 
And so it's greatly appreciated. So the best way to find you is on Facebook, I've seen. Uh, Also, your website, Outdoor Solutions. Just give us a quick overview of where people can find you, what's the best avenues so my listeners can go and check you out and maybe use you to to provide a hunt for them. Absolutely, yeah. No, we'd love to have them uh, come to any of our events, long-range schools, or they're from field to table. I'd be glad to set up any type of trip for them. So on social media, Instagram, we are uh, OS for Outdoor Solutions, underscore from field to table. Facebook is just Outdoor Solutions. YouTube is also just put in Outdoor Solutions. You'll find us some really good content, some new video content on there. And then our websites are from fieldtotable.com and then outdoorsolutionscorp.com. That will have the long-range schools, all the hunting and fishing destinations. Uh, and then from Field to Table kind of explains itself. You'll see all of our chefs on there and, and what we're about on Mountain as well. Awesome. Greg, have a great day. Awesome. You too, brother. Thanks for the opportunity. Yep. You've been listening to Building Grit, one call at a time. Everyone faces challenges, and we talk to people who use grit to be triumphant. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show, and we hope you had some fun along the way. We know we did. We'll be back soon, but in the meantime, hook up with Nick on Facebook at Nick Wingo and on Instagram at building underscore grit. And remember... Victory is always possible for the person who refuses to stop fighting. This is Building Grit One Call at a Time, signing off.